Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, Sona's back from her vacation. Hello. Back from Disneyland. How was that? <laughs> Don't get it wrong. I'm back from Disney World. Disney World. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always confuse. I've never been to either one. So I always confuse the one versus the other. Yes, I am back from Disney World, where we did four parks in four days. So you wow. can imagine how tired I must be. And boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, uh, you know, when you weren't paying attention, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. <laughs> That's right. I seriously, we were saying we had barely checked the news because we were in this vacation state of mind. And normally we're news junkies that literally have the news on almost all day in the background, which is probably not good for our mental health and not great for our kid. But here we are. Probably we were always this way, but certainly since COVID, we tuned out for a couple of days and look what happened. Exactly. So it happens. was a real shocker. Yeah, indeed, to the world itself. So, and by the way, everybody, I did drop an episode in the middle of the week where on the lighter side of things, although this is not a light show, I did talk about my relationship with Euphoria. I have such a mixed relationship with it because it's a show that irritates me incredibly. And then sometimes it's like incredible filmmaking, like some of the best filmmaking you'll ever see. And, uh, and with great performances as well, even though it's basically a soap opera. And I whipsaw back and forth. And honestly, this is basically what I was exploring in that, which is that I think that's part of the reason I come back. It's like, am I going to hate this episode or am I going to like this episode, right? <laughs> Let's see how it turns out. <laughs> I do recommend it for people who have been curious about it because love it or hate it, you will definitely have a reaction to it. And I think that's part of the appeal of the show. And of course, the people who love the show truly, truly love the show. It's like the most uh, active social media show, I think. Yes, I see a lot on social media about it, even though I've never watched a single episode. Yeah, Twitter announced this week that in the past decade, this is their most socially active show that they've ever had on their platform. So it's like a very, very, yeah. Uh, It's the Twitter show. And I I assume probably this is probably across the board with most social media as well, considering how much activity it gets. In that same episode on the not so light side is I do talk about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. I go a little bit into the history of the relationship with the countries, but really I'm not looking at it from a historical perspective. I'm not a historian or a journalist. I was talking about it mostly from what we can do to protect ourselves from inevitable uh, cyber attacks, because that's going to be inevitably going to be the case. 75% of all cyber attacks come from Russia. Uh, Putin encourages it because it, any disruption is good for them. Plus, of course, there's actually state-sponsored cyber attacks as well. So, uh, and and even whether it's intentional or spillover, they're targeting the Ukraine specifically, their IP addresses, et cetera, but there's always spillover with these viruses. So there might be things that are going to become disruptions. And of course, there's going to be intentionally uh, ransomware because it's how, literally, it's part of the Russian economy. It's billions of dollars a year in ransomware that that they collect from around the world. And of course, given the state of their economy right now, it's going to be even more prevalent. And there are some very, very basic, basic things that everybody can do to protect themselves against cyber attacks. Check out that episode. I just dropped it a couple of days ago. So do listen to that. And I hope it's helpful for everybody. And and hopefully this story, I mean, I don't know how it's going to play out, to be honest with you. There's really doesn't seem to be a a, a simple solution to this this problem, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But in this episode, we're going to be talking about, in a much, much, much lighter note, <laughs> we'll be talking much lighter. <laughs> yes, the finale of the after party. Then I will be getting Sona's reaction to last week's episode of Severance. And then probably on my own, uh, I don't think Se- uh, Sona's had time to catch up with Severance, the most current episode. You'll probably hear me by myself covering that episode here at the end. So that's what we'll be talking about today. 
Before we get going, as usual, make sure you subscribe so you know when we drop these episodes. Just a reminder that we will be continuing going week to week with Severance. I think this is the only show we're going to be covering. Sona and I will be covering until Better Call Saul. So basically, this will wrap up in April. And then pretty much within a week or two, Better Call Saul, the new season, which I'm very, very excited for. The final season, by the way, as well. Uh, will be dropping in April. In between there, I will also be with a different co-host. I will be doing recaps of Moon Knight, um, the new Marvel show. So that's what's coming up in the near future. Did you watch anything, Sona, while you were on vacation that you wanted to recommend? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I barely had time to watch these. <laughs> I didn't know a war had started, so that tells <laughs> Good point, good point. <laughs> My recommendation is on HBO Max, there's a show called The Tourist with Jamie Dornan that I actually watched on the BBC player. It played in the BBC probably January 1st, I think it dropped there. Uh, but now it's available on HBO Max, which I'm sure it will pretty much be the way that most people would consume this. And the reason I watched it was because when it premiered, it got rave, rave, rave reviews. And I would say that this show is not as great as everybody says it is. And literally from episode to episode, I'm like, I don't understand why everybody's going so crazy for this show. But it always ended on a plot twist at the end that kind of pushed me through to the next episode. I'm a sucker for that type of structure. Yeah. And I think you would enjoy this. It also has some elements of what you may have liked, maybe not everything that you liked in The Flight Attendant. But basically, Jamie Dornan is this tourist. He's from Scotland. I forget where he's from, his accent. I can't place his accent. And he's visiting Australia. And uh, what happens is in the opening scenes, he's basically being terrorized by somebody in an 18 wheeler. The cold open of the show basically ends with him being run off the road by this truck. And uh, when he uh, wakes up, he's lost his memory. And he's trying to piece together, like, why is he there? Who is he? All these things. And, you know, it's basically a mystery, as you would expect. But it also has this Australian sensibility. If you're used to Australian comedies, you know, this very laid back, even in the face of the craziest things, and this very quirky comedy sensibility. So it's a merger, but a mystery uh, merged with this um, quirky Australian comedy. Oh, and I would also say it kind of feels in some ways like a Coen Brothers movie, like it feels like Fargo, but instead of being all snow everywhere, it's like this kind of desolate Australian landscape. So there's elements of that as well. Jamie Dornan, I think is really good. I've never seen any of the gray movies, but he is very entertaining here. And also there is this um, actress, Danielle McDonald, who plays like a junior constable in the show. And she is also... Um, She's very entertaining as well. And I've never seen her in anything before. And she's great in this as well. Everyone underestimates her, but she's actually much sharper than she seems to be, I'd say. But I think you would enjoy this, Sona. And I think the main reason it all pays off at the end, even though I was kind of every episode, I was like barely enough to keep me to the next episode. But I'd say that thematically at the end, what is really interesting is this idea of someone rediscovering who they are and then kind of questioning the fact of, is their history their destiny or can they really reinvent themselves? And the show doesn't give you a solid answer, but it makes you question these things. So it, I think that part of it is very well done. So overall, mm -hmm. I recommend it. And I think you'll enjoy it, by the way. I think, just, I think you'll enjoy it if you watch it. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. And it's short, I think five episodes. And it's on HBO Great. Max, all available at once. <laughs> so you can just binge it if you want to. So Fantastic. <laughs> Perfect. Maybe I'll throw these two things real quick. One is the No Exit film. Yes. Which I had teased that we were going to cover. I do want to get a micro review out there to you and to the audience that I think the lead actress does a really great job, but this is a very mediocre thriller. And when I'm watching it, I'm thinking about a similar type thriller where people are like trapped in a location. I think about Panic Room as the epitome for me of a mindless thriller. It's not deep, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it does everything perfectly. The setup is perfect. It's really stylish. 
the tension when, you know, they're literally just trying to get from one room to the other is incredibly tense. And then it culminates like in a straight up horror movie. The last 20 minutes are pulse pounding. And I think it's almost excellent, almost perfectly executed there. David Fincher, incredibly talented director. This, I think, wants to be that. And everything's kind of like, eh, okay. Except for the lead <laughs> performance. I think she's very strong. But like, unless you love thrillers and you, you know, you, it's the only thing you want to watch. I think you're going to be a little unsatisfied with this one. So. Well, sorry to hear. Before we get into the most recent episode of After Party, the finale, by the way, called Maggie. Maggie being Brett's daughter. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that one, I did want to get your feedback on last week's episode, Danner. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I didn't think I would, honestly, because in the beginning I felt, I don't really think I need to know this much about her, that she gets a whole episode. But I, I did like it. I liked the way it was put together. I liked the mystery of the the girl with the... Green hair, blue hair, green yeah. hair, blue hoodie, I think it was. Who's in you Euphoria, know. by the way? She's one of the leads in Euphoria. Oh, is that right? I like seeing Fred Savage. I find him very likable. <laughs> yes, so. that was funny. Yep. I'm always happy when Fred Savage turns up in something. Just, I thought it was a, a nice backstory. I thought it was unnecessary. Yes. <laughs> Probably we didn't really need a whole episode about her. But nonetheless, I did find it entertaining. I did a very quick wrap up of this last week, because as you would expect, there's really nothing of consequence. There's not too much of consequence to the plot line of this current timeline. I basically said you could skip this episode. <laughs> it's, it really is doesn't add to the mystery or to the resolution right. of the mystery. Exactly. Basically, you could skip from the previous episode to the previously on that 30 second recap and then jump right into this current episode. And that would pretty much catch you up. But to your point, I felt that it did work as a police procedural. Like I actually was vested in the mystery, but uh, in the context of the show, it it has very little consequence and also not that funny. I didn't think it was that funny. Right. Interesting point about whether it was funny or not. Yeah. Usually this show has a lot of throwaway lines and very quick banter, but I think, yeah, not so much in this one now that you pointed out. This is why I think about it so much during the edit. I always pull out like some of my you know, funniest lines and some of the episodes I have excerpted three, four, five snippets from the show. I literally excerpted nothing <laughs> from that show because <laughs> some of the situations are funnier. You know, the dialogue wasn't that snappy or anything like that. Overall, I was kind of meh on it, to be honest. But let's get into the finale, Maggie. So at the end of last week's episode, Danner said, I think I can crack this case by interviewing Maggie. And Maggie, this the young girl, is uh, Brett and Zoe's daughter. Being an innocent bystander, truly innocent bystander, is just giving her impressions of the night. So a couple of funny things here. I don't really know what genre they're going for. I guess it's kids movie, but it doesn't really feel like a specific film type that they're aping. There are some funny kid-like things here that, for example, Walt is a puppet. <laughs> in her telling of the story. Yes, I, I actually, first of all, I thought that this yep. girl was very well cast. Yes. I think she looks like she could be the child of these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought her perspective was adorable. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's actually, I, I, I agree that I really like this part of it. And she gives a good performance. Some kids performers can be really irritating. So she's not too mannered in her performance. So I did think she was very cute. Uh, and like you mentioned, uh, you know, it, it is, very fun to see this, her recapping the night, but, but literally that's like the first five or seven mi- minutes of the show. And then they kind of change genres again. They go yeah, back into like, yeah. A little bit surprised that the episode was called Maggie because the episode was definitely not entirely about Maggie. I was preparing for the, the season. I mentioned that this episode was originally called Who Dannert? They changed it to Maggie, I guess, because they wanted to have a person's name in there because that's kind of the motif they had before. But interesting that they, they switched it up. And to your point, I think they probably made that switch up in the 11th hour because 
like you said, this is not Maggie's perspective of the night. This is like a few minutes of her talking and then we get into a whole other episode. So a couple of things I found funny here. One was, you know, that when she's walking around, some of the characters are puppets, <laughs> specifically Walt, who just walks around going, Walt, Walt, Walt. <laughs> yes, very Muppet-like Walt was. <laughs> yes, yes. The other next call that I'd make is that they spent a lot of money, like a probably a big chunk of the production of the show was in the special effects for that short sequence from Hungry Hungry Hippos. Yes, very true. And I, I, um, I thought having a just turned five-year-old and, and Maggie is supposed to be six, I just thought a lot of it was very true to a, a child's perspective. And that's part of what I thought was so adorable, adorable about it. The detour into the Hungry Hungry Hippos plot where... <laughs> direct her to what they're actually talking about the fruit snacks which are a recurring theme in my house and the parents saying yeah yeah sure you can have some and then getting distracted with something else never actually giving the snack is something that happens very frequently in my life kim's exactly that way she will immediately be distracted by something else so charlotte will have to ask 20 30 times for the snack before it finally comes i would say i'm 50 50 you know sometimes it gets done right away but i am as i've discussed many times i am very easily distracted so <laughs> i'll find myself in the kitchen and go oh yeah let me just unload the dishwasher while i'm here <laughs> exactly yes this is exactly what happens like kim walking across the house will be distracted by something <laughs> inevitably <laughs> Another thing I like here, this is a very much of an inside joke, by the way, but the fact that the hungry, hungry hippos that uh, Will Forte like basically makes this power peg that the, the hippo eats and then gets all worked up that, you know, basically making this very ridiculous stretch to make this hungry hippos game into a, a movie. This is like very much of an inside joke, I think, that there's a terrible, terrible movie with your boy Liam Neeson in it and Alexander Skarsgård, by the way, called Battleship, where they tried to make Battleship into a movie right and, yeah and it's ridiculous like first of all it's more like a transformers movie because there's all these transforming robots in it so they basically are trying to make battleship into a transformers movie but the funniest thing they have is that these giant rockets from space crash into these battleships like they do in the game they transform in air into like the peg shape of the white pegs that you put into the battleships so mm -hmm. it's so dumb to try to like shoehorn in the gameplay into this yeah. science fiction movie. And I think that's like a direct joke they're making in the Hungry, Hungry Hippos. But it's like a joke you only get if you've seen the Battleship movie. And I don't think that many people have seen that Battleship movie. I think it was pretty much a disaster. So Wasn't Rihanna in that too? She was. Very good. Yes, she was in there. Mm. Yeah, sounds like a terrible idea. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, like a Transformers movie, but worse, which is saying a lot because they're pretty bad. So I also liked how everyone in Maggie's version of the world, even if they are not literally a Muppet, they they walk and gesture in very Muppet-like or cartoon-like ways as well. Everything is very exaggerated. I thought it was very sweet. <laughs> yes. We find out that she's the one who drew the cat whiskers on Anique's face. Mm -hmm. Basically, everyone drew on Anique's face. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, exactly. Oh, another note I took care of was just the fact that, you know, when she's running around the house, messing up with all the equipment and stuff, and it's just a call out that kids mess up everything, especially when there's parties. It's like, you know, when you're having a party and there's a group of kids together there, that inevitably at the end of the party, you go walking around from the room and you just see like all the messes they made and everything had to touch every single thing before they left the house. <laughs> so, and she does the same thing here. <laughs> we find out what happened to Jennifer too. Turns out that that spill that, um, Dannard slipped on. It slips on again multiple times, by the way. That mm -hmm. was uh, her water broke and she basically just went to the maternity ward. So that mystery is kind of unsatisfactorily resolved. Just added that to, you know, I think it just a red herring earlier on, which I guess is kind of normal for these types of films as well or shows. Yeah. And then we have really very much feels like the movie Clue, 
and pretty much once again a stereotype for these type of shows whether it is like the Poirot series on PBS or those type of shows where you got to get all the suspects in the room together and now they're going to explain this is why this person might have done it. It, it also it just feels very much like a Columbo episode except for the fact that Columbo in those shows you knew who the killer was at the beginning and then we were watching Columbo solve the mystery in this case we obviously don't know who it was and uh, I do like how she breaks down each and every one of these people's motivations like for example no one ever notices Walt so wouldn't it be great if Walt was you know maybe murder that's a way to you know for people to remember him but it turns out no he's not the one and he wanted right. to sh- streak again <laughs> that was his real uh, intention the streaking was the real uh, gem of an idea he had yes unheard of right the one guy uh wanted to assassinate reagan to impress jodie foster so people do stuff like that (laughs) it's it's similar those two analogies are similar (laughs) along those lines (laughs) i do like the things that unravel these stories are in plain sight inside the episode they actually cut back to the segments in the show previously so they play fair is basically what i'm trying to say a lot of times these shows don't play fair this one does play fair although picking up on a lot of these clues would have been extremely difficult in the moment yes especially because there are so many people here exactly exactly but one thing that i want to call out is that indigo is i think this is intentional by the way she she has red hair and she's a red herring absolutely a red herring because the whole time you're like what's up with indigo what's up with indigo it's like nothing she says five words in this whole show (laughs) It seemed very mysterious for a time. And then yes. this episode is sleepy. <laughs> right. And like I said, you know, red hair, red herring. I think this is intentionally <laughs> like, you know, you're supposed to be like, what's her story? <laughs> no story, nothing at all. <laughs> she seems intriguing. That's her deal. <laughs> I did like that they closed up like anything that seemed like a plot hole had all been cleaned up. Like, for example, I called out earlier that it's very convenient that all that video disappears at that mm-hmm. moment when they need it for evidence. And, uh, of course, it turns out that Jasper, but we might as well just jump to it. Jasper is yeah. the killer. And, uh, you know, since he had set up the AV equipment, he actually had the phone and he was the one who did the delete remotely from the, from the phone itself. An interesting thing here, by the way, that I didn't catch until this episode, and it was right there in plain sight from the very beginning, that you actually do see when Anik walks in, I think it's in episode two, and Jasper's inside the shower playing with the two phones, that you hear him playing uh, Xavier's music. And of course, uh, it's interesting because, you know, for all we know, he's like listening to Spotify or something, but considering that the track is not out, then of course he already has the phone at that early in the show. So it's right there in plain sight, if you knew to look for it. Yeah. And I had not previously noticed Jasper's phone case, I'll just mention. I did notice the uh, the phone case, not not the dif- the discrepancy between the two, but I had noticed it because remember, it's when Anik is looking for the match for the E in diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> that that he shows him on. He's like, no, this is how I do my ease. And he shows it on, on the case. Well constructed. I don't remember that, although I, I'm sure I saw it at the time, but that was very well constructed then. Yeah, that is uh, that was good. What I didn't catch at all is later on when he is like texting uh, multiple times uh, when he has the phone out, the case is different, right? So that, that right. is something. But of course, Danner noticed. And the only other thing that I found here funny, they call out Jasper's uh, gymnastic skills. That's how he was able to jump from one patio to the other. <laughs> And also very clever that they are, he's the only one that says that, you know, he ran in from the other room. And of course, when they play those segments together, even the animated one, he's always coming in from the balcony, right? So I did think that was clever how they put that in there. Once again, would I have looked this closely to this show, which is so frivolous that I was looking right. for all these clues? No, but it was there. I mean, I think if you rewatch it, everything will be there to, to collect. But 
I don't know if I, you know, was really paying that close attention to pick up on all these tiny, tiny little clues. You know, we end up with Anik and Chloe together. Oh, and one last point is that Jasper seems to be very happy to be arrested because he's like, I'm famous now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so everybody kind of gets a happy one. <laughs> in their own way. So overall, what'd you think of this episode of the season in general? Would you recommend it? I thought it was a fun show. Uh, something that is great too kind of just fill your time when you want something light and amusing. I don't, I certainly wouldn't recommend against it. I wouldn't tell anyone, no, don't waste your time. Don't watch it. But I also wouldn't say this is something you have to see. Yeah, I agree. I think it as a binge, you know, I'm, I assume most people are going to watch this as a binge, you know, it's half an hour a, a shot. Exactly. So it's, it's going to be four hours long, which is pretty long for, for what is here. I mean, honestly, this was originally a film script that got turned into a TV series because everything now gets, goes from, being a movie script to be turned into a TV script. And my opinion of it is I think there's not enough here for uh, this to be a series. Going week to week on this, I don't think there was enough there to keep it that compelling. Unless you really got so vested in it that you were really rewatching each episode multiple times, then you have all those clues out there. But is there enough to keep you going back that many times? I don't think so. And then on the other hand, I think that if you were going to binge this whole thing, I probably think it'll be more satisfying to binge it all. But I agree. I still feel like it's probably going to be too long. I feel like this probably should have been a movie. Two hours would probably be more than enough. I think that's right. Uh, it almost reminds me of kind of like Knives Out, mm -hmm. where yes. Knives Out is very clever, really holds your interest for a couple of hours. And then, you know, you've watched it, you're done, you move on with your life. <laughs> I think that's a, I think it's a perfect analogy, by the way, that I think Knives Out is probably a little more clever than this. But regardless, yes, I, I agree. You know, I didn't love Knives Out like some people did. And I honestly think that this probably at that length, that like the length of Knives Out would probably be as probably around as satisfying as Knives Out was. That, like you said, I think that's the problem, right? You could totally imagine that Ryan Johnson, uh, who directed and wrote Knives Out, would go to Netflix, which ironically has now funded the two Knives Out sequels. The first one's coming out this year uh, directly to Netflix, and then the next one's coming out, I think, next year. But they will be movies. And the reason I mentioned that is because I could picture them going to Netflix with this, and they'll be like, turn this into 10 episodes. And it's like, well, it's going to be much less satisfying as 10 episodes than it is just a nice compact two-hour movie and that is probably the same thing that happened here to be honest yeah because i think uh this isn't as much as it is about the murder mystery that's not what's really driving the interest in the show i feel right it's not like you're dying to know who did it it's more about hearing everybody's story and their perspective and all of that that's what's interesting about it not really so much who done it i mean like in contrast and i'm not saying this is really comparable as far as the type of show it is except that they're both half hour funny shows uh never have i ever which i you know i'm the biggest fan of like that's something that i would say like yes you need to watch it it's so clever it's telling a new type of story in a new way it's a fresh perspective uh all of that kind of stuff i wouldn't necessarily say that about this even though you know i'm happy i watched it it held my interest and interestingly, just to go back to, because I want to reinforce that recommendation for the show, The Tourist, what's interesting there as well is that in many ways, now that you're saying all these things, I feel like The Tourist honestly could have been like a two hour movie also. Mm -hmm. But I think what makes it better, like the plot is probably just enough for two hours, even with the twists in it, you know, like the twist could come every 20 minutes or something instead of every episode. But I think what pays off with The Tourist over time is that I think in episode four, which is excellent in The Tourist, by the way, that you really kind of start falling in love with these characters. So it's about spending the time with these folks, right? And mm -hmm. uh, like you described, I agree that that was the funnest part of here was, you know, the two strongest episodes for me was the Jasper episode, which turns out to be all baloney, by the way, right? His version <laughs> of reality. <laughs>
And then the high school episode, right? Uh, the two strongest episodes, I think, of the bunch. And I know you really like the Chloe episode also, so that one has its merits as well. It would have been almost better, given what we have here, that if you had just uh, these people making these re revelations about their pasts and then confronting each other about it would have been more dramatically tense than trying to chop up the episodes into these like little you know, individual episodes where each person's telling a story. It doesn't allow that intercommunication between the characters, which probably is the strongest part of the episode of the show itself, right? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as far as I would recommend it, I would recommend it. But to be honest, I would say you could watch the first three episodes, then you could jump to like the high school episode and maybe jump to the finale. You know, you could probably watch four or five of these episodes and get everything you need <laughs> from it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I give it a, a mild recommendation as well. I did want to get your uh, feedback on so a lot of stuff at the last week's episode of Severance. Your recap was actually a lot more interesting to me than this episode. Really? <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it held my interest, but not in the way the the first couple ones did. I mean, certainly the plot is moving along and I get that. I just wasn't as compelled by it as I mm -hmm. was with others. You know, I do think a lot of important things happened here. The things that I found most interesting, I really felt for Helly. Yeah. The idea oh, yes. of why is the outside version of me doing this to the inside version of me? I'm so unhappy. I don't want to be here. And, you know, why is my, my other half putting me in this situation? I can feel for how frustrating and upsetting that must be and how, how desperate she must feel to communicate with the outside version of her and plead with her to let her out of this situation. Yeah. Um, I felt that was very well done. Wait till you see this episode. That's my only spoiler. It is devastating. So you, you'll, you'll have to see that. <laughs> but uh, I would say in general, what I'll say to you is that I felt the same way. I was intrigued by the first episode. I'm glad they had two episodes, by the way, because I loved, I loved that the second episode, I thought it was incredible. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was it's a really interesting balance of this world building and this comedy. Like I loved the comedy and it was so complex, you know, like, I mean, the, the jokes were so complex. I kind of agree with what you're saying, even though I was surprised by your initial reaction right. in, <laughs> in that I, I agree that I wasn't as entertained by what I was watching, yeah, but I yeah. was fascinated. I was constantly like, wow, like this is so messed up. And, and I mentioned it in my recap I did last week, but while I was watching this show, because I'm aligning with Helly, at moments I have sense, I had a feeling of real dread. Like I felt like suddenly, like I'm a rat in a maze, literally, and you know, they're inside mm -hmm. this maze. And I'm like, there's no way out. There's no way out. I felt claustrophobic, right? Like it was uh, so. Yes, I guess that was very well done if we both felt that kind of empathy for right. her. Yeah. And I do think this had uh, some really good comedic moments in it with that visit to the Hall of Founders or, or whatever. Yes. That they called it and the bingo card that they had made because uh, certainly we've all had that situation where you yeah. think you need a bingo card to get through a given call or whatever it may be. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I certainly have in my current job the idea of like, yes, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of time before somebody says that certain phrase or whatever it may be. Totally get that. And I found that amusing. You know, I did love the idea of Petey leaving that map with behind the photo because he knows that they're going to change the photos when he leaves. Mark is going to find it. And this is a way that not just the outside Mark has some idea of what's going on, but now the inside Mark might have some idea as well. So I thought that was a brilliant idea on Petey's part. 
and Patricia Arquette, who I've only ever really seen before in in Medium, which is a yeah. show that I actually really loved. And so did I. <laughs> really interesting. A very foreboding feeling to mm-hmm. Patricia Arquette's character that I certainly didn't get in her Medium role. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, she's watching everything and she knows everything. So yep. uh, also I thought it was funny how much this craft Rubbermaid container <laughs> comes into play. <laughs> yes. Yeah, interesting. You bring a life. couple of things. First is that we, we asked last week when we were discussing this, is she severed or not? She's not. Then we also asked, is she, is the Selwig persona, is this malevolent in some way? But she seems to really care for Mark. She's in a house by herself and she's like, mm-hmm. oh, Mark, what's wrong? Like she's longing for him in a way, right? Mm. So there's something uh, interesting there. And even when she finds the candle and she smells it and steals it, she's set, her reaction to it is like, no, no, no. Like as if this is like, he can't have this. It's too upsetting to him or something. So it's, it's very strange, this kind of maternal persona that she has with him on the outside, which, you know, in a way is it's a violation of him, right? Because he's not aware of this, you know, duality. So it's problematic, but she it seems to have a real concern for him at the same time, right? So it's, it's interesting. It's a very complex relationship they have there. I actually did not pick up on the fact that she stole the candle. Maybe I had looked away at that moment or something. That's interesting. Yeah, she, she took, I, I, it's so crazy. She takes it. And once again, that will pay off. Everything pays off in the show, by the way. It will pay off in this very next episode you're about to watch. So Yeah, I mean, and you see her, right? When she's looking at the window. Yes. In fascination, watching, eating her little baked goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on there that I am sure we will find out more about. And I think that's why I was compelled by it. Like you said, not as funny, not as entertaining moment to moment, but definitely there's so much going on here that it, first of all, was interesting just from all these new discoveries we're making about these characters. And also because it also made me think about thematically some of these things, like what responsibility does the outside person have to the inside person? If you really did segment these people, I know people who, for example, were artists who worked office jobs and then got stuck working their office jobs for decades. And I think when I see Heli, I think of that metaphor there. Heli has like this outside personality that has a whole other life. I don't want to deal with this part of my life. So you're just going in there and you know, you don't matter (laughs) and you're going inside (laughs) there and really that has no concern for the, the version of herself that's inside of there. And then of course you have a different version of that with what Mark is doing to himself as well, where he's just running away from something. But I did find that metaphor very interesting as well. So like I said, I was compelled, although maybe not entertained as much as before. I think that's a fair description of it. We also learned more about Milchak. Milchik, mm-hmm. yep. We had already figured he was capable of doing some pretty grim things. And that was further confirmed here, I think, that you really don't want to cross this guy's this guy because the consequences will be pretty dire. Yeah, I think that's what was interesting that we see explicitly here for the first time, which is something that I had picked up in the performance even earlier and I had appreciated. Mm-hmm. He honestly seems to be someone who is there to support the team, but has this dark side, right? And you see both things in his performance, which I thought was even before, even before it, things turned overtly malevolent. <laughs> it's like a very extreme extension of that human resources of yes. idea, idea of they seem very warm and friendly, but in reality, they're there to protect the company, exactly. not to protect the people. Exactly. And when push comes to shove, that is going to be the line they take, is the one that protects the company, not the employee. Yep, exactly. And also we saw on that kind of a related topic, 
that Patricia Arquette, uh, I'm sorry, I can't reach and figure out what to call her in which circumstance, but <laughs> so many um, names. So many names. <laughs> she is in some kind of trouble with the board, right? Yes. Because mm -hmm. have that awkward conversation. Her meeting is on speaker with the board and they're not really saying much, but it is clear that she's in trouble of some sort. Yeah, I, I, that's the other thing that I thought was interesting as well. And I wanted to circle back to when you first brought her up. Absolutely. These people, our main protagonists, are obviously being oppressed by Milchik and Patricia and Selvig or, or uh, Cobell, <laughs> whatever her name is. She's got too many names. But then their management is being oppressed as well. So it's like these layers of control. And uh, who knows how high up it goes. Like, And those people may be uh, you know, oppressed by another layer of bureaucracy here as well. Right. Speaking of bureaucracy, I didn't call this out of my own. Uh, recap, but I did, uh, and I, it, but I've been wanting to talk about it since the very first episode, which is first of all this kind of brutalist architecture, and, and even the the monuments that they have to the CEO, which very much look like you know Leninist, Stalinist Russia, and I think intentionally so, and also the idea that they basically are not allowed to have any outside culture at all, which also reminds me of like you know Soviet era, <laughs> you know where you know they burned any of the unacceptable books, you know, and the Nazis did this as well, mm -hmm. but it like very much makes me think about like the propaganda of, uh, you know, a fascist regime, right? Where you have, a, you can only hear art uh, or see art and hear, read books and, and hear voices that agree with uh, the party line. Also something I thought was very interesting, and this is more tangential, but kind of does certainly fit into the overall theme here, is you see that brief clip on TV with the PR person talking, I believe, about the inside version of someone that got pregnant. Yes, yes, this is very interesting. I agree. Which was a very interesting idea. And also, just practically speaking, can you imagine the shock of the outside version? Exactly. That's <laughs> what I was saying when, when that same thing happened. In my recap, I mentioned the exact same point, which I had not thought about this, obviously, especially as a man, I'm probably blind to this as well. But like just the shock of it, could you imagine you just go home and suddenly you're like, man, I'm gaining some weight. And then you're like, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> who have been I have been having sex with I don't know like and that's very I have no clue <laughs> exactly exactly and like according to an NDA uh you don't know you're not even allowed to know is it consensual is it non-consensual you have no idea no idea yeah so kind of insane to think about how that actually could happen in this version of the world yeah and exactly. how people would deal with that so I thought that was a really interesting little tidbit as well a minor context setting for the current episode as far as when this thing takes place post 90s I would say there's a moment where Enter Sandman by Metallica gets played in the current episode. <laughs> so it takes place in our reality and in the, you know, has to be after that point in time. So it's definitely 90s, which of course would have to be with the flip phones and everything as well. And there was something at one point, he's on the internet. This is the current episodes looking at where his sister's going to go to like a, like a resort to have like a natural birth or something. And uh, he's on a computer looking at, basically he's like on a laptop. So this is not 1985. This is not like 1992 where the internet mm. really exists. Mm -hmm. This is mid, I'd say, I think this is, I think that we're setting this early 2000s is my guess is what, where, where, where this show is being set. Probably like pre-iPhone, uh, maybe even pre-Blackberry, maybe pre-Blackberry. So maybe 2000, 2002 around there is my guess. Interesting. Oh, and the only other thing I mentioned in the previous recap was the, um, where I did see there was humor here. I think you touched on it already that there's, maybe not like laugh out loud lines, but there is satire here. For example, how this always happens and you know, you join an organization and like your team hates that other team. This is especially the case with IT, by the way, when we never know what the other group's even working on. <laughs> and it's like, you know, <laughs> these people hate those people. And you're like, why? And it's like, because we always have. 
<laughs> it's like, okay, I don't know why we hate them. And then people just invent <laughs> stories for why they don't like each other. And there was also the insinuation too, that the work that they do is somehow resulting in some evil consequence, right? I can't remember exactly what context that came up in. Mark says to Petey, what if we're like, killing people every single day? Uh, Petey says to Mark, I should say. And then Mark goes, well, is that what we're doing? And Petey, even now being reintegrated, he still doesn't even know what they really did. He goes, I don't know. But he's just saying that, you know, are you comfortable with not knowing? Right. Right. I thought about, there's this joke about the Death Star in the first Star Wars movie, that the Death Star was like, it's not fully operational. It's still under construction. So when they blow up the Death Star, they kill a few generals and they killed like a whole bunch of construction workers and janitors <laughs> and maintenance workers who were. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes the question that imagine you work at a Facebook, for example, some people think Facebook is like actually an evil empire of a kind, right? So imagine you work there, the worker bees who go in there every single day, they just want to collect a check, right? That's, you know, it's just the job they could get and, you know, one that pays well. Uh, so the question becomes like, if you are inside that organization and you're blind to the bad that they do, are you still doing something bad or are you just part of a system? But then is your ignorance enough to say it's okay, right? And I think that's also a question that's being asked here. Like when Mark sees this girl pregnant, this woman who got pregnant on the job. And like, like you said, all the you know, consequences of that and the problems you can imagine with that. And he's just like, I'm gonna turn this off. I don't wanna see it, right? If you're facilitating that, are you part of the problem? I mean, everybody is going to need janitors, plumbers, right. IT even, people. Even the, even the even Darth Vader. <laughs> yes, it's just practical. <laughs> you know, your own personal responsibilities to support your family or, right. you know, whatever it may be. I think we're constantly making decisions like that and everybody's threshold in life is different. You know, some people would say that they would never uh, work for Facebook, for example. Right, right. They have done a lot of things that arguably, I'm not taking a side, have had very negative repercussions. And other people would say, Facebook pays great. The benefits are terrific. And I'm going to be able to have all the things I want in life. So it's not my fault if certain people take things a certain way and don't have the independent judgment to understand that they shouldn't put weight on certain things. That's not for me to decide. You know, everybody's threshold for that will be different. My threshold is I personally would find it very hard to litigate on the defense side. Everyone deserves the right to a zealous defense and everyone deserves excellent advocacy. And I understand why people need defense lawyers. And I'm not talking in the criminal context, obviously. I'm talking in the civil context. Right. Switches. It it almost flip-flops when you're talking about in the criminal context. So yeah, it's a lot of shades of gray there. Yeah, I agree. And I think they're, they're exploring it here. And there's no easy answer. Inevitably, we're all making some compromise, right? And that's what's potentially what this show is trying to explore. Yes. Anyway, so I'm very vested in the show. I can't wait till you see the next episode, by the way. Uh, not funny next episode, but boy, it's very difficult episode, I'll say. <laughs> Just as a teaser for everybody out there. If you haven't watched it yet, it's going to be a rough one, everybody. <laughs> but yes, really? I'm getting a little worried. <laughs> scaring people off. It's not, I mean, it's not that bad. It's just, if you're vested in these characters, it's hard to watch. Struggling through these really uncomfortable circumstances. So, you know, the, the humor in here is curdling, <laughs> let's say. So.
episode four of Severance, the UUR, which turns out to be the title of Mark's brother-in-law's book. This episode directed by Aof McArdle, a very Irish name, and I apologize if I mispronounce it. Well directed here, not Ben Stiller, although he will be back for the last three episodes. As the episode begins, we pick up exactly where we were at the end of last week. Helly is still in the break room. She's now up to 259 times repeating her script. And despite the fact that she's still not earnest enough in her reading, at 5.15, exactly her departure time, they let her leave. Milchik sees, says, see you tomorrow. And we have the experience from Helly's point of view of her exiting and then immediately returning in a new outfit, her bandaged arm covered with a longer sleeve. But other than that, no signs that the external, the Audi version of her, was traumatized enough by what she's experiencing here to not come back. <laughs> and I guess that is part of the frustration that this internal heli is dealing with in that moment. And she's right back into the break room again. So no reprieve for the innie from the break room. And she actually breaks down early on in this. It's very sad to see her this way. But even that breakdown, she's modified the script. So that is not okay. She needs to continue. But she also hears something. And we hear it too. As she is repeating this script, she starts to hear like an angry voice, like a muffled voice from outside of the room. And when she brings it up, she is ignored. But we'll find out later that, or it's hinted at later, that others have an experience here as well. Although what they hear varies. What about the voice behind the door? Crying baby, you mean? No, like the angry mumbly guy. Guys, really not supposed to talk about the break room. You know, the important thing is, you apologize correctly, now you're out. What you gotta do is trick the machine by thinking about something you're really sorry about. So, I like to imagine my Audi's love made with a milf or two, which is obviously badass, but I do pity the husbands. We also see that Mark, his Audi has hidden Petey's phone. It rings pretty regularly, but Mark never enters, uh, answers it. It always shows as a blocked number, so he's, oh, he would theoretically only be able to answer without being able to call back. Meanwhile, Mark, Mark's innie is looking at the map, exploring the photograph again. There's a pretty funny sequence when Bert arrives unexpectedly. Dylan immediately grabs a stapler as a weapon. He's just there to deliver the totes. And I forgot to ask Sona last week if she was reading these interactions as potentially a romance between Bert and Irv. And although I forgot to ask her, it becomes pretty overt here that there is a romantic spark between these two older men, which is actually very sweet when you think about it. I mean, something you definitely don't see <laughs> very frequently is, uh, you know, nearly geriatric age or perhaps geriatric aged men <laughs> falling in love for the first time. So it is nice that even in this uh, desert of culture, <laughs> these uh, two may have a pure romance, although it is still remains to be seen. Bert has more mysteries to unfold here, and I'm sure they will be pressing as the show continues. Dylan's mistrustful, of course, like I mentioned, and he said, I want reverse directions back to O&D, because if you know where we are, we need to know where you are. And uh, Bert has already done this. He has included it in the totes he delivers with an open invitation for them to come visit O&D. Originally, I had suspected that perhaps the innies did not have a memory of the break room, just because of the way that the there was that sound effect of a persona switching when they entered the break room. But apparently... The innies do have that experience, and they do preserve it. So what a terrible thing to have to, you know, without having a history or any external pleasurable experience, they do have to at least capture these unpleasant ones as well. 
Irv does go to visit Bert over in O&D, and they touch, their hands touch, and it makes Irving uncomfortable, although it was reciprocal, and he does try to apologize to him later, to Bert. But on his return from O&D, he happens to go by that conference room where Milchik was reviewing the UUR book. And this is going to be perhaps the beginning of an unraveling here. They're not supposed to have any external culture. And maybe it's very fraught when you have indoctrinated these people by default with the corporate philosophy and, and the handbooks because it's the only culture they can consume at all. And this, once again, not only the architecture of the building and some of the artwork makes me think about Soviet era art and culture, but it also makes me think about, once again, the same kind of the Stalinist, Leninist, during the communist uh, revolution at the turn of the century, basically any bad thoughts, any non-culturally appropriate material was destroyed and the Nazis did the same thing. But it, once again, it's just this interesting metaphor. Could you imagine that the only culture you could consume that was approved was just the corporate handbooks and uh, the mantras that you um, have to read at work? It, it, <laughs> they're basically starved for any kind of culture. And this book, as, as silly and pedantic as these mantras that he's written in these books are, it may be <laughs> like the beginning of a counterculture inside of the inside of Lumen. But Irv brings Mark and Dylan over to see the book. Has anyone seen anything like this before? Passage 31, page 110. Be content in my words, and dally not in the scholastic pursuits of lesser no, men. No books except the handbook, I know. What are you doing? His ego's pissed because Helly called him out for bootlegging. My ego's fine. I'm just trying to... Damn. Mark, what is this? Maybe it's another PD message. Flip through, see if my name's anywhere. I bet it's a loyalty test. Remember the spicy candy? I'll be turning this into Milchik. What? Why? It's booty. It's booty with your name on it. Excellent decision, Mark. This is an idolatrous text that should be brought to him immediately. Mark says he's going to turn it in, but he actually keeps it. And he starts reading it on his own. He sees that his name is in it, so he's very curious to know, like, why was this thing sent to him? And meanwhile, we also see that when Heli confronts Mark about this map that he has, that he eventually destroys it. Very problematic if he hasn't made a copy of it, because this would be a huge clue for unraveling this mystery for the team. And if he truly didn't copy it, then what a waste. Heli is still not giving up, and while the rest of the team is distracted by the book, she finds a paper cutter and threatens to cut off her fingers and breaks into Harmony's office and basically says, I need to have a disc made right now, a video disc. And she records her declaration that she wants to leave on camera, not a written this time. She takes the disc in her hand. She enters the elevator. And I think she really does honestly feel like she's going to not return. But of course, from her POV again, she gets in the elevator and now she's back again. So it's the next morning. She now has a different colored video disc in her hand. And the team gets together and they watch together. And this is a really, really rough scene. Hallie, I watched your video asking that I resign. I also received and responded to your previous request. I assume that would resolve the issue, but now Miss Cobell says you threatened to cut off your fingers. 
I understand that you're unhappy with the life that you've been given. But you know what? Eventually, we all have to accept reality. So, here it is. I am a person. You are not. I make the decisions. You do not. And if you ever do anything to my fingers, know that I will keep you alive long enough to horribly regret that. Your resignation request is denied. Turn it off. You do not have the right to make any decision. This is incredibly callous. And it really makes you wonder, you know, first of all, the, the metaphor of someone being so cruel to an aspect of themselves, especially if you have to consider the trauma, like of being inside that break room, which we find out, by the way, that she had 1,072 readings of that script, I believe it was. And you have to assume that there is some psychic scar that you carry beyond, you know, even with these segmented personalities. But for whatever reason, and maybe we will discover it over, the, over time, her Audi believes in this so much that she really has absolutely no empathy at all for this innie. I mean, she really becomes despondent here, and we'll see how bad this gets by the end of the episode. We see Mark back at home. He's looking at birthing cabins for his sister's childbirth and receives a notification, an obituary of a Lumen employee, which is Petey. And he, of course, knows this, doesn't know Petey personally before these most recent events, but of course is very concerned when he finds out that, she, that he had died after that collapse at the gas station. And immediately the phone is ringing again. And I'm pretty sure he's going to answer that phone at some point, but not yet. Back in the offices, we find out that now that the news has broken that PD's passed away, there's a concern that they need his chip. And the security person, whose name we don't know yet, seems concerned for the welfare of Harmony. It wasn't your fault, Harmony. If you want a hug, go to hell and find your mother. Jesus. Since Petey reintegrated. The board's never acknowledged reintegration. We have to get his chip. His corpse is scheduled to be destroyed by cremation following his funeral on Sunday. FYI. Wiles is going to be the way that she gets this chip. We then see Mark and Selvig at the funeral, Selvig slash Harmony, and this whole thing goes very awkwardly for Mark. First of all, Selvig is asking Mark how he knows Petey, and he's trying to play it off saying, well, I worked with him. I don't know if I knew him, but I just felt like I should show up. Meanwhile, he asks Selvig, well, what are you doing here? And she makes up some totally ridiculous 
statement that, oh, he used to come and love my pastries. He would come eat at my shop. And she has this cover that she supposedly runs a bakery shop, pastry shop. Do they actually have this cover location? Because how has Mark never gone to visit this in his outside life? But maybe they'll explain that later. This whole thing is very uncomfortable. He deals with his ex-wife, and she says, if you were one of his coworkers, then you didn't know him at all. So there is, I guess, internally, this is maybe what broke up their marriage. The daughter confronts him again, yet again. So you knew my dad? Um, yeah. At work. Oh, you're one of those. Do you ever think that maybe the best way to deal with a fucked up situation in your life isn't to just shut your brain off half the time? I'm not exactly sure. And then we see a video in which PD plays Enter Sandman with his daughter. And this happens simultaneously as Selwig, Selvig slash Harmony slash Cobell, however you want to identify her, has literally brought a drill to the funeral parlor and has drilled out the chip out of um, Petey's brain. I actually thought for a moment there that Mark was about to walk in on her as she did this and the jig would be up or at least he'd be have many, many question marks as to what was happening. But that doesn't happen. She's made her escape by the time he goes to check in on Petey's, to pay his respects to Petey. But he is, maybe it's the world's colliding, maybe it's just the stress of the situation, maybe he's just questioning himself. But this is all coming to a head and he has to leave and on the way home he stops he stops at a tree and a bend in the road and i assume this is the tree that his wife crashed into back in the office cobell requests a check-in between casey and mark and during the session casey actually burns the candle the candle that mark's wife left behind in her craft bin which seems really messed up you have to assume that's going to be triggering at some psychological level Bert and Irv reunite, and this is all very sweet, these scenes between them, but something strange happens here too. Bert tells Irving that there's original text. This is almost like the books of the Bible or something, that he prefers the original texts before they were modified. And he also tells him that Kier doesn't use other ways to communicate beyond the text itself. So Bert may be opening Irv's mind up beyond this very strict dogma that he's been following up until this point. Mark is reading uh, sections of his brother-in-law's book, and he notices that it's not that you need your job, it's that your job needs you. So it's an interesting phrase that we see highlighted here. I'm just curious to see how it's going to pay out later. This is before he goes into that session with Casey. Meanwhile, Harmony's watching, and this is all intercut action here. Dylan finds the book as well, and starts to read through this poem. And this is where I'm wondering if this book is going to somehow fracture this rigid philosophy that currently rules them. And intercut with this is we see Mark sculpting a tree out of the clay. And is this the tree that he saw the night before? Is this the tree that his wife crashed into? And then how is that memory entering into this reality? Irv, meanwhile, passes by O&D on the way back to the office and discovers that there's a whole back area and that O&D is massive. So it's not just two people. And then perhaps O&D is more nefarious than Bert claims to be. So Bert has more mysteries here to reveal. And of course, the final moments here, 
is Heli hanging herself in the elevator. Destiny, an acrostic poem experienced by the author Rick and Hale. This is very upsetting, to say the least. And we just cut away just at that moment. And I desperately wanted the next episode. A tough thing to wait all week to see the result of this. But I'd say just thoughts on the way out. Can't imagine they're killing Heli off here. I really can't. So I'm not sure how she survives this. Maybe someone arrives at the elevator at that moment and they rescue her. Maybe she, the elevator ascends at that moment and her outer self maybe gets the message when she discovers herself hung inside the elevator. I don't know. Upsetting finale, the final moment here. So a lot of things happen here. This is an emotionally exhausting episode. Not as much humor as we've seen before. And this world gets stranger and stranger, the rules of this world. And we will see what happens next. What additional mysteries is Bert hiding? And is he working from the inside? What is this, or is he like a, a fundamentalist when it comes to this philosophy, this cure philosophy, and he's looking for other zealots? It remains to be seen. So that's it for this episode. I really do hope that Heli does survive. I would really miss her if she was not on the show anymore. I will be getting Sona's feedback on this episode when we record next week. And beyond that, I will be providing over the course of this week in one or maybe two episodes... A lot of stuff coming out this week. Mini reviews for the new movie Fresh, available on Hulu with Sebastian Stan. As well as, once again, probably in the same episode to be honest, another Hulu product, the wrap-up final thoughts on the Pam and Tommy miniseries. And that should be out in the middle of the week. And probably in that same episode, my review of The Batman which is doing very well. Looks like it's going to make around $120 million just in the U.S. this weekend, and it could be close to $300 million worldwide. So comic book movies are still doing well at the box office, but maybe the only thing that's still doing well at the box office currently. But still, there's some signs of hope that the movie industry is not quite yet dead. And I'll hope to get that out to you sometime 
towards the middle of the week. In the meantime, if you're looking for something else to listen to, check out episodes we have in the backlog of Only Murders in the Building. If you enjoyed The After Party and you're looking for, honestly, I think, a much better comedy slash murder mystery, check out Only Murders in the Building and our recaps of that show. And if you haven't already caught up on the most recent season of Succession of Dexter New Blood, which was a very mediocre to bad season of television, but we did have a lot of fun recapping it. So if you were frustrated by that, check out our recaps. We did have fun poking fun at that show, especially towards the end. And if you do like comic book movies and you're looking forward to that Batman review, do check out my Spider-Man review. In that same episode, I also review a whole bunch of other Marvel content that's come out recently. And of course, music episodes as well. If you're looking for new music to listen to or old music to listen to, check out some of those. As usual, reach out to us at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com if you want to give us your feedback. Give us a rating on your podcatcher of choice. If you are on Podcast Addict, for example, or if you are using Overcast, we really would appreciate you rating us there. It will give us, it will bump us up on the charts for sure in those apps. And we've gotten a lot of traction on those apps recently, so reviews will only help us even more. Until the next time, I'll talk to you soon.